Welcome to OnAmp. Oh no, not another marketing podcast. I'm your host, Will Davis. I'm the Chief Marketing Technology Officer and co-founder at RightSource with over 20 years experience in the marketing space. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from strategy to content to MarTech platforms and everything in between. You'll hear honest talk about successes and failures with our guests, plenty of analogies, maybe a couple jokes, and a lot of data points along the way. When we first got into marketing in our careers, it was largely what you call arts and crafts marketing. It was a soft profession, full of frankly, you know, soft people. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, here with me, Mike Sweeney, CEO and co-founder of RightSource Marketing. And Mike, of course, is as my partner at RightSource. I know a lot about you, but uh, for those listening today, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Sure. Uh, glad to be part of this uh, inaugural episode, first of all. A couple important things, because uh, I'm proud of them. I'm from New Jersey, God's country number one. Uh, I went to the University of Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, God's country number two. Uh, I tell you guys that because I'm proud of both, and I'm sure we're going to joke about those two things throughout, although not much to joke about with an 8-0 season thus far. Great. So, uh, Mike, you know, we hearing a little bit about your background and kind of where you've been, uh, what led you to start Co-Found Right Source, and what does your role look like today? Well, I think I had the entrepreneur thing in my blood somewhere along the way. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur of sorts, and so I think somehow I grew up with it always in me, and then it was really just a matter of, of time um, and what type of company I was going to create or what type of organization. And what were you doing before Right Source? So I was running software, uh, running marketing, sorry, for a uh, division of a software company in the, the D.C. area. And that's evolved as you and I started the company, gosh, just about 10 years ago now. Um, what does your role look like today? What do you do at RightSource? What kind of gets you energized getting up in the morning? Yeah. So I, I break my role into uh, probably four parts, and I'm going to go in order of I hate to say it, the, the ones that I like the most and like the least, although they're all super important to the business. The, one, the first is like setting the vision, strategy, direction for the company. And, and a lot of people think that's a one-time thing. That is an everyday thing if you're doing it right. So I, I love that part. Second part is participating in business development. Um, we're very careful about the types of clients we pick for a lot of different reasons. So I'm heavily involved in that. Uh, the third thing, very natural for a CEO, is knowing the numbers, okay? Call it finance, call it whatever you want, uh, knowing the, the, the kind of numbers that, that drive the business. And then the last thing is participating in key relationships, whether it's clients, partners, you know, things like that. Cool. So that's kind of the job description, Mike, but really, like, what gets you energized about marketing? Why are you in a marketing firm instead of another type of company? Like, what do you see in the market that just gets you really geared up and made you choose this field out of all the possibilities. Yeah, you know what? It's it's um <laughs> I think it's kind of the underdog thing and I'll explain. Uh, as as you and I have discussed, when we first got into marketing in our careers, it was largely what you call arts and crafts marketing. It was a soft profession, full of frankly, you know, soft people because we couldn't prove that what we were doing had resulted in much. And so, I think over the past couple decades, it's almost like out to prove that that's not the way it has to be, that as marketing has evolved, we're far more valuable. And so I, I truly think it's just that. It's like, that's the fun part is proving people wrong. 
Cool. So you, you of course, uh, brought it to one of my hot button issues, which is, you know, marketing sort of being viewed as a uh, nice to have versus a need to have. Um, often when companies are in tough times, that's the first thing they look to cut uh, versus really kind of this evolution of where we are now where marketing is not in the, you know, in arts and crafts. Marketing needs to be participating in revenue generation. You know, that needs to be part of every program. It needs to be measurable. It needs to be um, really planned out how how you get there. Um, what are some of the challenges you see in the market as that's kind of shifted? Because that's not that's not something that's always been the philosophy of every company. Yeah, um, I, I think challenge number one is is the people in the marketing pool. Um, I think by and large the talent. In, in marketing has developed a great deal, but like any other profession, we still have a set of people. Um, and I'm not just talking about people like that do black hat tactics or things like that, but people that just, um, uh, that are, are okay with being mediocre, if not weak marketers. And those people kind of ruin the game for the rest of us who are trying to, to do it right. I think that's one thing too. There's this promise uh, that we all talk about, about closing the loop, right? Marketing being able to prove that it contributed to, uh, con- contributed to revenue generation. The fact is, is that's not the reality for most organizations. And it's some combination of the wrong people, not using the right tools, uh, misalignment between sales and marketing. So that's always going to be a challenge. It's the holy grail, but most companies still aren't there. Wow. So that was a lot of things um, in terms of where there are holes, where there are challenges. Um, how, do, how do companies go about fixing them? I mean, you and I have talked about this. Uh, one of the things I know Mike can get really fired up and passionate about is, is teams and team structures, how people build their team. Uh, so you identified at least four, five, six areas where you know, people are missing the boat or missing the mark. How do you go about fixing that, particularly when there's so many different pieces? Well, so yeah, a couple things that I'm I'm super passionate about, both inside this business and outside this business. One is is, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this is is strategy and and planning. Um, I I can't as a planner by nature, and I've always been this way. I was a guy that um, I still remember playing Nerf basketball. By the way, against myself, Nerf basketball. Wow, one-on-one or one-on-zero Nerf hoop. Um, can you tell me which team Mike won? Uh, it, well, usually I would do, for whatever reason, this was back in the, oh, God, late 80s. It was Atlanta Hawks versus Chicago Bulls, Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan. So it was actually five-on-five. Five. It was me one-on-one, but I was playing all 10 players. So, yeah, this was and, – and in doing that, I would draw up plans for the two teams to beat each other knowing that – I don't know who's supposed to win because it's me against me. And so, Mike, just as a reminder, in your intro, you said that you were one of four siblings. Did your other siblings just not like you? <laughs> you were playing in the room, just just Mike? What's, you having a little Mike time? What's going on there? Well, as 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 the youngest of four, okay, uh, my parents loved me, but they you know they were kind of done. They're like, uh, let let Mike go do his thing. My siblings were ten, eleven, and five years older than me. And so they also are kind of like, yeah, he can't hang with us. We we don't we don't want to spend time with him. So yeah, I had to make up my own little games like that. Okay, that's fair. I guess too at those ages, they probably would have blocked your shot into next week if you were playing against them. Until I got bigger than all of them, yes. Great. So <laughs> so you're in your room. You're setting up the one on one, the Bulls versus uh, Hawks, and that sort of led to you thinking about 
marketing team structures. That's a little weird, but keep rolling. Well, I don't, I don't think that's what led me to marketing team structures until later. But my point was, um, I've always had the planning thing in my nature. It's always been a part of me. And then now I just apply it to business and marketing. And frankly, most of the time, more to business than, than pure marketing. Um, so I've just seen too many companies, organizations that frankly, um, they're, they're afraid of strategy and planning. And, and I think they're afraid because you kind of have to get very self-aware as a company. You have to admit your weaknesses, your holes, perhaps admit to your team that we've done some things along the way that just haven't worked. Um, that's the best I can come up with is why companies don't do it more is like there's a, there's a fear of the result. Well, I think part of the problem, too, is you have um, people in place, you have systems in place, you have things you're going to need to change, and change is hard. Um, change is uncomfortable, and sometimes you may find that you've gotten to a point where you really need to make significant change, and that can be really challenging for really all size organizations, large, small, anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, well, change change is uncomfortable, right? No one, no one really loves change. I mean, maybe there's a small percentage of people that – truly embrace it, but it always makes people uncomfortable when you do it for the first time. But I guess I'm just a believer that discomfort creates comfort down the road, meaning the more uncomfortable you make yourself in certain situations that you're afraid of, the next one that comes along is going to be a lot easier. Well, I think too, the reality is uh, change is inevitable. Change is constant. And for those who aren't willing to change or are really uncomfortable with change, there's generally a really big change that comes that's pretty seismic for them, which is, hate to say it, but they sort of become irrelevant. Yep. You know, if you're not if you're not evolving and you're not moving with where things need to be, I mean, gosh, look at marketing and how much has changed in the last five or ten years. Yeah, and exactly, especially in the the business climate we're in. I mean, you and I, we all deal with this like on a day to day, week to week basis. Things are changing, and you cannot possibly stand still, or else, yeah irrelevance, which, right, irrelevance is pretty scary. Well, and I think about it this way, right? Ten years ago, you and I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without renting studio time and all sorts of other kind of uh, hurdles to overcome. And, of course, everyone's picturing us in some beautiful studio in, uh, I don't know where we want to be, somewhere fancy, maybe an island. Uh, but the reality is, you know, we're in our conference room with a, a small set of equipment. We're hopefully able to do a pretty, pretty exciting job here for our first episode. No, absolutely. It's going to be fun. So um, we've talked a little bit about team structure and, and planning. And, you know, Mike, as I said, that's something I know you really get, get fired up about. Um, let's talk a little bit about that planning and where, in particular, like where you see companies uh, succeeding and just as importantly, like where do they miss the boat? Where do they think they've nailed it from a planning perspective um, and a strategy perspective? And how does that kind of go off track? So, uh, yeah, and there's kind of two things in there. There's, there's planning and team structure, and we'll, we'll take the first one on, and then if we want to tackle the second one because they're, they're related but a little bit different. Um, as I said, I think where people fall down on the strategy planning front is, is fear, um, fear of doing it and fear of, you know, doing it in a complete way, right? I think a lot of people profess, hey, yeah, well, yeah, no, we have a plan, but then – when we all come in and look at the plan, or at least when I do it, I look at it, I'm like, this is half-baked. Like, you, you didn't actually complete this. You didn't consider everything. You didn't really expose all your weaknesses and then figure out how you're going to address them. Uh, another challenge that I see is 
it, it's a plan about uh, what I would call a deliverables-based plan, but not an outcomes-based plan, meaning it talks about all the things you're going to do, but doesn't really tie back to what do you want the ultimate ultimate outcome to be, whether it's con- contribution to revenue, whether it's lead generation, things like that. Yeah, I, I, that's a problem we run into a lot is people say, oh, well, you know, we already have a plan. We just need a firm like RightSource to go execute it. And you sort of roll up your sleeves and take a look at it and you go, wait a minute, there's not, you know, there's not enough there there, right? We haven't identified the people who are going to be involved. We haven't identified the actual tasks and timing. We haven't identified what we want to come out of this. So, you know, we made four things each month and we delivered it is not in and of itself usually a win. I think that would have been great you know, three, four, five years ago when it was kind of, you know, step one, publish content, step three, become billionaire. But um, now there's a lot more involved in really getting to that success. And it's it's multi-layered, especially for B2B marketing organizations. Yeah. Uh, and it, it brings me back to uh, just last week, we were recording a video in our luxurious studio here. And we talked about setting goals for 2019 in particular. And I believe what I said, if I remember, is there's kind of three types of goals you need to focus on. One is a financial or data goal, okay? That's the, the numbers-based goal. The second is a deliverables-based goal. What are the things you're going to do to get there? And then the third, which I also think goes just kind of underserved always, is behavior goals, right? Because we're all still humans operating inside some type of organization and business, which means we have behavioral flaws or strengths that contribute to the success of those initiatives. And that's another place where a lot of people kind of whiff is like, they don't think about the behaviors inside a company or a department that are gonna help affect the change. Yeah, I think that's really interesting too, is kind of getting into, as we talked about, going from strategy to plan to team structure, right? That behaviors piece is critical because 90% of the time, you know, we like to think we've made these great investments in technology and we've built these great systems and we've built these great processes. Um, but it's always touching some level of a person or people being involved. And that's where kind of the great successes happen or that's where things can uh, not live up to where you thought they would go. So how, how do people like how do you build that team? How do you manage it the right way? How do you evolve it and figure out, you know, we've got these people. Where should they be? Yeah, Um well, uh, let me, if I can, uh, let me first talk about why the team thing kind of excites me so much. I think part of it comes from my uh, sports background, both as a mediocre athlete and now youth sports coach. Uh, there, there's just something to the dynamic of a team that is so much more fun than doing something by yourself. And I, and I get everybody's built different. The people that played uh, – uh, individual sports growing up, like tennis or what have you, they may disagree. But for me, you know, sports like football, basketball, baseball, hockey, et cetera, et cetera, uh, there's just something about doing something together that's very energizing. I think it's uh, was that a uh, Helen Keller quote, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And um, I just think if you have the right people in the mix that all believe in that and all support each other, that's what makes this whole whole thing exciting. So I just veered way off track with you. I don't think I addressed your, your questions. No, that's fine. It's something uh, actually you and I have talked about more on sort of a personal level, both having uh, kids. Uh, we each have two daughters. And, and for me, it's really important that I've said to my kids, I want you not just to play, say, an individual sport or do an individual thing, but also 
you know, you need to do a team thing, whether it's soccer or volleyball or basketball or whatever it is. And then you know, if you want to play tennis or something uh, on your own as well, that's good too. But I think just having that experience and having that um, team building and sort of team unity aspect is critically important. You know, I don't care how good they are at the sport necessarily, but the life lessons about being a team is critically important. Yeah, and don't you think, I mean, as, as guys that have families, like, there, there are parallels to growing a family, right? Like, when you, and I'm, I'm now going into kind of growing a company, not just being on a team, but um, much like when uh, your kids start to get old enough to show certain behaviors or accomplish certain things, there's actually something strangely um it's it's uh it's in a sense it's a little bit selfish right because you're so proud that some message that you gave them or something you helped them with turned out to be an accomplishment for them but it's just incredibly like gratifying and i think there's there's sim- there's parallels in a company where you build something you say this is the message this is our vision this is our strategy and you mentor people and coach people and then you see these things like actually come to fruition and I say it's selfish, but in a certain way, you know, it, it's unselfish and that I'm really excited for the individual that accomplished something. You know, it's kind of secondary that I'm like, wow, maybe I impacted that behavior. But it's the fact that someone grew in some way. Yeah, no, I, I often get asked um, when we're bringing on, you know, potential new team members, interviews, those types of things. Like, what's your favorite part about Right Source, or what do you really enjoy, you know? at right source and, and my answer is pretty consistent which is i really enjoy watching our team succeed and i really enjoy watching them succeed without me heavily involved right or without you heavily involved And it's not that we don't love to work on stuff it's really just seeing okay how successful uh our team members can be and that to me is actually more exciting um more energizing more fun than like hey here's a thing i did Right. I was I was love that. And, and, you know, kind of on the family side, same things. It's big wins. It's small wins. You know, my kid made a hilarious joke yesterday in the car on the way home. That's the type of comment I would have made. And I was like, that is money. I am so proud of you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it's the little wins and it's the big wins, too. Um, so talking about let's stay with that theme, wins, successes, uh, Mike, and let's at least on the business side, like what's your proudest moment what's the thing you've done that has made you say you know or your team has done that's made you say like wow that's really something I can take a step back and feel really good about you know and 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 god hopefully this doesn't sound too uh not not negative but I'm I guess I'm the type that's built for the next success so um I don't know if there's like a moment like publishing a book or you know, launching a new website or a new marketing program that that makes me proud because the moment we hit those, I'm like, yeah, we ha- haven't hit the pinnacle yet. This isn't we're not we're not there yet. There's something bigger for us. Um, I can tell you though, conceptually, um, you, you and I last week, um, shockingly, we're talking about the A Team, the the uh, 1980s TV show. Of course, we and were figuring out which A Team character. We, um, yep. We wanted to well, when we were a child, which one were you? Yeah. And then. You know, which one might you actually be? Right. And so in this, I brought up the quote from Hannibal in the show. Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. Right? Of course. Now, you weren't chomping on like half of a burned out cigar like Hannibal no. did, which, by the way, would never fly on TV today, right? To have some guy who was smoking cigars like two thirds of the show. No, but that would have been nice. Can you bring me a cigar next podcast? 
Uh, we might need a little more ventilation in here. Okay, fine. So, but to to go to the point, um, I get really excited, and this happens on a day to day, week to week, month to month basis when we make a plan for something and it actually works, right? Because sometimes they don't, right? Like a sports coach, your game plan, you think you've got the greatest thing in the world and then it all falls apart, whether it's you don't have the right talent, whether your plan actually sucked, which is <laughs> entirely possible. So there's, there's, there's that risk when you're putting together a plan for something that it might not be right. And when it is right, it's damn exciting, right? Like that, that's, that's just like the holy grail. Yeah, and I think that that analogy is really strong too, which is, you know, a lot of times you make the right decisions, um, you do most of the right things, and yet the outcome isn't always where you want it to get. So, you know, or pieces of that fall apart, right? I forget what game I was watching last week, and a uh, football team decided to go for two, and I was like, wow, they scored a touchdown, going for two there is a great decision. And then they called a pretty bad play, and then they didn't execute the play well, and I was like, well, the coach shouldn't have gone for two. It was like, well, that wasn't the problem, you know? Don't unpack that piece of the decision. It's the play call and it's the execution. And so I think, you know, in our business, we see a lot of that too. The strategy was right. The plan was maybe okay, maybe flawed. Maybe things changed in the market. You know, maybe it was the one time out of seven, it wouldn't have worked. Maybe it was the one time out of three, it wouldn't have worked, right? But I think um, companies often just say like, well, we're never going to do that again. That thing was a failure because we tried it once. We may not have executed it very well. There may have been some other factor. And like, gosh, let's write that whole thing off and never do it again. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, wow, we're going overboard on the sports thing, but this is who I am. The, 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 the game planning for a game is not unlike planning for a certain initiative inside a company, right? Like I'm convinced that uh, Bill Belichick, he may not be smarter than all the other coaches. I don't know. Maybe he is. Uh, But I am convinced that he hires the right people. And then when he creates a plan, it's a complete plan, right? They pick apart everything, right? These guys all work long hours. You hear they don't get home until 3 a.m. and they're back at the office at 6. But somehow someone like that figures out a way to cover every detail of the plan in a way that other teams don't. Yeah, that part's interesting, right? Because it's not in that business, you can't just outwork somebody. Right. It's not that you're putting in more hours than anyone else because they're all putting in an insane amount of hours. So it's what are you getting out of those hours and what are you, know, what are you looking at as the – the outcome for that work how are you bringing in the right people how are you delegating it the right way um and then maybe unfortunately for you as a notre dame fan like when those guys leave and go somewhere else to lead themselves like charlie weiss at notre dame how does that all fall apart so fast (laughs) it goes back to people you've got to have the right people in place that might have been the wrong person well and, and it's interesting to me too right because you have kind of that structure internally where there's there's a leader and then there are different tiers below that and a lot of delegation um, that seems to work for an organization like the Patriots, but then those those kind of second level people, you know, haven't haven't necessarily shown that success when they've gone out other places. Yep, absolutely. So I don't know what that tells you about marketing teams, but <laughs> it gave me a minute to give a quick little Notre Dame dig, which you know we'll take every now and then. Um, so shifting gears, you talked a little bit about your proudest moment or moments. Um, you know, what are some of the failures that you've seen and how have you learned from that? Because I think that's something uh, we're going to talk about on this podcast. People don't always like to talk about their failures. Um, they kind of push them aside and are like, well, let's not bring that one up. Uh, but to me, you know, the most successful people, the most successful organizations say, here's something that didn't work. Uh, and they use that kind of as fuel for the fire to either 
you know, dissect that and do something different, uh, dissect it and do it again, but maybe with a couple different pieces or, you know, just really kind of owning that. Right. You know, and, and frankly, not fearing failure. So having some of that, um, fearless mentality. Yep. Uh, and, and I actually am one of those strange people that's comfortable talking about the failures. Cause I do think if you, you, you know, that's where you learn. Are you going to say picking a business partner? Because please don't <laughs> say picking your business partner. No, we'll talk about that later. Okay, uh, that's going to be on the editing uh, room floor, right? Uh, so the first one is a general category of not trusting my gut. Now, your gut's not always right, but um, I guess I've, I've kind of developed a gut. Not literally. Well, maybe, but... Uh, nah, I've, you're uh, paleo now. You're not <laughs> developing guts. Yeah, well, there's there's still time. Uh, but I, I, when I don't go with my gut, what I've seen is that that often is a failure, meaning I should have trusted uh, what I felt in that moment. And I will tell you, though, I'm going to... This is kind of a, a second category, but the biggest one it usually comes back to people. When I think about the failures, it's been um, bringing on the wrong people that exhibited the wrong attitudes. Um, It it actually has a lot less to do with skills because skills can be trained. But, you know, I look back and I have hired a lot of wrong people. Um, Doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they were wrong for what we were trying to do. And they weren't culture fits and things like that. And so, you know, when I think back, it's um, what was, uh, oh, God, here comes sports again. Michael Jordan said something like uh, he had he had missed 26 game-winning shots in his career. I may have that number wrong. And because I failed, that's why I succeed, because he learned something from each of those mistakes. I don't know if I've hired 26 bad people, but I know I've hired some, and for our company – People drive this organization. They're everything. Without good people, we're, we're nothing. And so I, I always look back and try to say, what, what did I do wrong there? What didn't I vet? Um, did I mail it in on someone that I knew probably wasn't right and just said, yeah, but we need someone to fill a hole? So when I look back and beat myself up a little bit, it, it's always about people. And I know this is a super long-winded answer, um, but, but that's where I've, what I've learned from. Well, in our business, as you said, it is all about the people. And I know people often say that, um, but sometimes it's lip service. Our assets ride up and down the elevator every day, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You know, At the end of the day, our business has no assets until people walk back in the next morning. Although we do have some folks who uh, work late into the evenings and, uh, and overnight remote. So uh, that analogy falls apart a little bit, but I think you know where I'm going. Um, all right, so we talked about success. We talked about failures. I want to hear from you, Mike, like what's the biggest risk you've taken, whether that's um, right source, business, like what do you see as your biggest risk and, and what happened with that? Uh, does starting this podcast count? Oh, uh, that feels pretty safe. Like you're only showing up for a couple episodes. Uh, no, but this maybe is... putting a microphone in front of me without a oh, filter, God, that yeah. might be a risk. Oh, well, yeah, you're behaving today. I don't know what's going to happen with future guests. Look you out. did say this year is all about planning behaviors. So. <laughs> um, you know what? The biggest risk, uh, some people might assume that I'm going to say like, oh, starting a company because I didn't know how it was going to do. And I started it with a business partner and neither of us knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, 
Believe it or not, that moment wasn't the big risk. I actually think the big risk is once you get started and you're rolling in some form, and then you have to reinvent it a bit. I think that's the risk. Now, it's a it's a calculated risk and one that um, as long as you, you have the right demeanor about it, you can get excited about, but it's taking something that's been moderately successful or to some people massively successful, but realizing to get to the next level, we're going to have to do something different and it might be uncomfortable. So that's, that's the risk. Yeah. And that's something, um, maybe in a future episode you and I could dig into a little bit more cause that's really interesting, you know, and, and something we've kind of done at right source is build it to a level and then start to say, okay, you know, what we might need to knock down some pieces to build it to that next level. And, you know, how we go about that decision-making, what does that look like? Um, what are the pieces you keep? Because like we talked about early on, the market is changing every day. Marketing is changing every day. Uh, and you need to be ahead of the market, ideally current with the market to be relevant. And if you're behind the market, like good God, be afraid. <laughs> right. Yep. Good. Well, uh, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Uh, a lot more we can go into in future episodes, but uh, good to kick this off and have our first podcast. We No more sports analogies? We'll get those in next time. Okay. All right. Thanks. I love it. Glad to be a part of it. Mm-hmm.